I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back and happy holidays, wonderful people, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling news, and the home of the Baderink College Football Advanced Statistical Model. Thanks for joining us. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, happy Hanukkah, and happy holidays. And um, as we move into bowl season, we have a couple bowls to preview here. We want to break down the Las Vegas Bowl. Before we do, please subscribe to the podcast for free on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, any podcast catcher, Apple Podcasts, we're out there. And if you like the podcast, leave a review. We would certainly appreciate that. We have our bull pool going thanks to everybody that left a review for the podcast this past week and again you could follow us on twitter at 12 pack radio uh on twitter so thanks for tuning in and i'm joined as always by sports illustrated's max meyer what's up max uh well I, i'm currently uh trying to i don't know how to put maybe like a new orleans hangover i went to uh down to the big easy for the first time for the holidays and it was amazing and now I just feel that I I ate way too much delicious and unhealthy food, and I'm trying to recover from that currently in, in New York. Outside of the food, which is incredible uh, out there, what was your favorite part there? Because I, I love New Orleans. Uh, well, I mean, the nightlife was amazing. I, I love the jazz bars. Um, in terms of attractions, I actually really, really enjoyed the World War II Museum. I, I thought it was spectacular. Oh, I've never been there. I totally forgot about that. I'm sure it's. I'm sure they just did that up incredibly well. Rob, yeah, we're also joined by Rob Bowen, the uh, president and CEO of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. Rob, have you been to New Orleans before? Uh, yeah, a couple times. I I also love 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 New Orleans. So um, I could I could pretty much wander around the Irish Channel um, all day and and the Garden District. One of my favorite books is confederacy of dunces uh by john kennedy o'toole and i love the fact that they have uh, i forget the ignatius i forget the guy's name but the main character there they have a a statue of him in front of a mall <laughs> or like a strip mall and so that's like my first stop anytime i go there because i just think it's a great book and highly recommend it but that is neither here nor there uh did you have did you have a good christmas rob we are recording on the 26th by the way <laughs> i did i had a great christmas uh how about you guys so uh news so my parents for our uh, my Christmas gift got us a 12 pack radio logo uh, designer so we can, we can put our heads together and try to figure out how we, what we want the logo to actually look like, you know, and avoid the copyright infringement. That is our current logo. <laughs> so that, that's always good. Not being sued. And what about, what about you? Uh, Max's Hanukkah still rolling, right? You got a few more days left. Yeah. Hanukkah still rolling, but actually uh, my sister's birthday is on Christmas. And so She's unfortunately been cursed over the years because there are so many restaurants that are closed. Oh. So her birthday dinners, sometimes they're mediocre. It's it's like all over the place. 
But uh, we went to this really good uh, Chinese place last night, and then we saw Uncut Gems for the uh, traditional uh, Jewish-Chinese movie Christmas. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) <laughs> we gotta keep that tradition rolling, man. Right on. Uh, that's one of my favorite scenes in uh, in a Christmas story, by the way. Is that, <laughs> um, which I had never seen in its entirety until uh, until like a few years ago. I always saw it in bits on, you know, like on TBS over like the course of fifteen years, and then I finally watched it. And I was like, this movie is amazing. How did I not see this before? But we're not here to talk about the holidays. We're here to talk about Pac-12 football news. And guys, a lot of news broke over this past week. I want to start with the announcement from Coley Parkinson to get to the NFL, another departure from Stanford. And Max, still no news out of the Stanford camp in terms of coaching changes. Uh, I'm starting to get a little bit nervous if I were a Stanford fan. Yeah, and I mean, luckily they they actually somehow got a nice (laughs) recruiting class despite trying to put out fires around the rest of the program. But uh, Parkinson, him and uh, Hunter Bryant, and and Jacob Breland for Oregon too. I mean, th- those are three of the better tight ends in all of the country. And Parkinson, great safety blanket, and Stanford tight ends. Not sure if you guys know this, but they're pretty good in the NFL too. So <laughs> I'm sure that, that he'll be uh, right in line uh, with the Stanford tight end tradition in the NFL. I don't know, Rob. Are you a little worried about what's going on at Stanford? They certainly did haul in a nice class. Yeah, they they hauled in a nice class. That's not going to help them next year. And I, I mean, what are, what are we at now? I mean, are we at, is it 13, 14 players in the transfer portal from Stanford, um, including KJ Costello, which, I mean, it's not, I guess, a huge surprise, but still, you know, you're losing, uh, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So, yeah, Stanford, big, I mean, big question marks on, you know, for both coordinators uh, still. I, and I, I'm just, I'm a little surprised, I think, as you mentioned, that <clears throat> there haven't been changes put out there given the way, you know, the, the team has performed. Um, Cause most, most teams, especially if you're like Stanford and have signed most of your class already and aren't going to have a lot of additions to it. Um, if you're out there, you know, most teams make their, their switch right after signing day. So Stanford may, David Shaw may stick to his guns and just uh, go with uh, Pritchard. And uh, I don't know. We'll see how that works out. Yeah. Shifting gears over here and I thought this was good news for the Pac-12, is Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator of USC, was extended to a multi-year contract, which I think is great news. He really was able to take the reins of that offense and push it forward. And um, we're going to see, and we'll talk about USC-Iowa because it's a fascinating matchup, a great offense against against a great defense. Um, I don't know, Max, what did you think about that? Well, I mean, I just thought that if, in order to kind of like save face with the decision to retain Clay Helton, uh, USC really needed to make sure that uh, Graham Harrell did not leave just because I think there were reports of Texas being interested. And if USC would have lost Graham Harrell, it, it, it would have been a disaster. But now with Harrell returning, you get another offseason to work w- with uh, him working with Keaton Slovis. And I just think that uh, USC's offense definitely was much better this season compared to last season under T. Martin. And so I thought it was a smart decision to give them the multi-year extension. Yeah, I think so too. And Rob, you know, if you could talk about that, but I also want to bring in another one of the other elite teams in the PAC 12 and that's Washington. Obviously we already talked about Jimmy Lake taking over as the head coach, but just let go of his offensive coordinator, which I think is a good move on that front as well. Yeah. You know, we, we talked a little bit about this, that they were going to have to make a move on Bush Hamdan 
And it's Chris Peterson moving on and into retirement, I think, made that more likely. Um, Jimmy Lake made the right call. The surprising one was that their, their tight ends coach was also not coming back. And a lot of people have liked, including me, I've, I've liked Washington's tight ends recruiting and coaching um, and how they played on the field. So um, that was the only sort of surprise there. But Washington's definitely going to be in the market for a coordinator there. Um, it's something that they should. I mean, Washington has some resources they should go out and spend some money on. Um, to try to get somebody. I think the guy that maybe some consider one of their top targets, the Indiana OC, became the Fresno State head coach. So, um, But I, I expect Jimmy Lake to get out there and make a good hire because uh, they, for the most part, around the conference, like the guys that we thought maybe needed to to move on, you know, including like Bo Baldwin at Cal have either, I mean, Cal, I assume Bo Baldwin was sort of managed out. You know, they've, they've made the moves, so... It's a it's a plus for Washington. They really needed to make a move there. Their offense was more abundant. I'm surprised. I mean, how do you guys feel about Pendergast still being on board at USC? That's the surprise to me. I think that they're going to wait till after the bowl to make to basically show him the door. I I, okay. I I can't see him and USC special teams coordinator John Baxter remaining just because. I mean, Clay Helton knows that he is on. I can't even call it thin ice. I don't even know what's thinner than that. But you can't return two coordinators whose units were constantly under fire throughout the whole season. You can't do it. Yeah. I, w- I was surprised that they didn't pull the trigger on that. But that makes sense if they're waiting for the bowl. Because um, certainly – and we've seen this too. And you've talked about this, Rob, where Pendergast, everywhere he goes, he usually is good for the first couple of years. And it seems like the coordinators on the opposite side kind of figure out that aggressive uh, like style defense and the over-pursuing. But I'm curious if, if that was the case, Max, this with his tenure at USC. Uh, I mean, yeah, well – so before Pendergast, the defensive coordinator was Monty Kiffin. And Kiffin, like the game that I'll always remember was when Oregon and Marcus Mariota and Chip Kelly went into the Coliseum and they dropped a, I think it was a 60 burger on USC. And that was basically like Monty Kiffin being shown the door. And then Pendergast, uh, he was the solution. And then, and then he came back after a brief stint with the 49ers. And yeah, I, I think at first it was like it was a nice change from the Kiffin era, but I mean, this season, last season, it's like USC's defense is making the same mistakes over and over. They're terrible on third down the penalties, which I mean, you can attribute to the entire staff in general have haunted the defense. Uh, and I mean, USC to be fair, I mean, they, the secondary was really young and inexperienced and the Trojans dealt with a lot of injuries on that side of the ball throughout the season, but I think it's time for a change. I totally agree. I want to move down to the desert here. And Paul Rhodes hired as the defensive coordinator at Arizona. And Rob, where's Paul Rhodes analyzing this Arizona personnel right now? Where where would he be doing that? He'd be sitting in a film room. (laughs) He's going to be he's going to be sitting in a film room, uh, you know, uh, at Arizona watching a lot of these guys uh, on tape to try to get a sense of what he's got. And then he's also, I mean, at this point he's going to be, you know, if, if anybody's on campus, he'll be talking to the the players that are available on campus. Um, he's also probably reaching out and making phone calls to, to players that are at home uh, over the holidays to, to, you know, talk to them. But 
you asked, you, but you were specifically asking, like, and I, I get it now, the Vivid Seat Studio. That's right. He's breaking down film in the Vivid Seat Studio, Rob. I'm glad you got there. I was wondering if oh, they had to read it back it's in. Been a, it's been a little bit. I've got some. I've got some. Uh, some holiday uh, mind going at the moment. <laughs> um, very excited that Vivid Seats has continued to be a sponsor of Twelve Pack Radio throughout the year. And if you haven't downloaded the app already, please do. It definitely help out this podcast, and it's one of our top sponsors. And get up to $100 off your your first ticket if you haven't purchased your tickets through them. I'm taking a look at the Pac-12 conference tournament down in Las Vegas and sometimes when you're buying things on the secondary market, take give them give them a, a look because they'll be able to hook you up with a deal if you use the promo code overtime and they automatically enroll you in their loyalty program. So definitely check out the Vivid Seats app which is uh, available for free on your Android or iPhone. But I think you're right, Rob, when we're talking about uh, breaking down film. I, I was we, we recorded an entire Wildcat Radio podcast on the Paul Rhodes hire. But in a nutshell, what were your thoughts on bringing him over from the secondary uh, coach at UCLA? I mean, I thought he was a good hire when he was hired at UCLA. Um, you know, I thought it was a sign that Chip Kelly was really going to put together a good staff, that he was able to stockpile someone like Paul Rhodes um, in their you know coaching secondary. But I think it's as solid a hire as you could expect Kevin Sumlin to be able to make. Um, Rhodes is probably a decade removed from being, you know, one of the hottest named defensive coordinators out there in college football from his days in Pitt and Auburn. Um, but he's he's a guy that certainly should be in, a, you know, a big improvement schematically over what Marcel Yates was doing, um, and you know, hopefully make some some good hires for the defensive line uh, opening in Arizona and you know the potentially the secondary coach the safety coach that they might hire so i thought it was i thought it was a good hire it's not necessarily a spectacular hire but i don't think arizona was in a position to make a spectacular hire yeah when your head coach is on the hot seat and you're looking for a coordinator i think it limits the pool that you're in and arizona would have been better to have let Marcel Yates go last year and bring in a defensive coordinator and have a, a wider pool to cast from before the season started. But uh, there's another school that brought in a defensive coordinator, and that's Tony White at ASU, another secondary coach. He was their secondary uh, coach internally, and they just promoted him defensive coordinator. Max, what do you think about the difference between both schools and the defensive coordinators that they brought in? Well, I think that it was nice to see Arizona, I guess, um, I agree with Rob. I, I think that Paul Rhodes, even though um, he's not as hot of a prospect as he once was, I still think that he's a legit hire. And I, I was a little disappointed that Arizona State went in-house um, with their defensive coordinator hire just because at the beginning of the season, I think a lot of it was due to who they played. Arizona State's defense was actually really solid. But then in the meat of the Pac-12 schedule, that that defense really – it just went way downhill after that and totally cratered. So I think bringing on someone from that staff after Danny Gonzalez was hired as head coach of New Mexico, um, which I thought was kind of bizarre onto itself, but I, I would have liked to have seen uh, fresh blood there. Um, and I, I think that Arizona, even though, like you said, probably should have made the move last season uh, to replace Yates and shocker, a Pac-12 team waiting too long to make a switch. <laughs> um, but at, at least I, I think that Rhodes has upside, and I like that higher more than Arizona State deciding to go in-house. Okay. 
Anything else we should cover in Pac-12 news? I know Brandon Schooler transferred from Oregon to Arizona to be a wide receiver. I'm curious to see. Sounds like he will play wide receiver, but, man, Arizona needs some safety help. <laughs> but he certainly has. Go back to his original position of safety. That is probably the better fit. <laughs> um, anything else we missed? No, I think we're good. Okay. Let's get to the Vegas Bowl, where uh, last week we had talked about Washington's defense being the best defense that Boise was going to face. And my goodness, did they show it? Uh, Washington 38, Boise 7. Our, at least my biggest concern in this game going in was whether or not Washington was going to be able to put up points with Hunter Bryant out and then with uh, Trey Adams out on the offensive line. And see, you know, Boise had an okay defense. I think it was in like the 50s, but it didn't matter. I mean, Washington was able to just stop anything that Boise was doing basically from uh, like the first quarter of the first quarter on. And I mean, you just knew that they were going to take control of the game. They were able to, to flush out the quarterback and, and just play nasty defense. And Rob, this was one heck of a performance and, uh, oh. and probably not the swan song for Chris Peterson. Oh. I'm sure he'll be back. I was gonna, we have breaking news. Oh, Oh, we got Jacob, Jacob Eason announces he's going to the draft. Oh no! Oh, I was just about to. I was about to say like when I swear like when Brian asked like, oh, is there anything else? I said, oh yeah, Wash. I was about to say, oh, Washington fans are sitting around waiting to see what Jacob Eason does, and lo and behold, oh wait, wait, wow! So that that now I was going to say that Washington should be the Pac-12 favorite next season, and now I'll I'll play USC. <laughs> <laughs> Again, every freaking year, man. <laughs> this conference is so dumb. Because <laughs> uh, like Washington, like next year, you've got. I mean, this is such a bummer for Washington fans because you're you're hoping that they, you, if you're a Washington fan, you're hoping that they land a, a solid OC, um, Easton stays, and then you know they're able to come in with that really experienced defense and 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 the defense that I I expect to be one of the top you know two or three in the country next season, and have you know, the offense, you know, carry enough of the load to get them, get them maybe even back towards, you know, a playoff run. And man, this really hurts. Cause now you're going to be breaking in a new OC. You're going to have a new quarterback. You're going to lose a lot along the offensive line. Yeah. And I, 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 you, it's, it's like next year in the PAC 12, it's like USC, I guess. I'm curious to see what the, it sounds like, Washington has done a decent job recruiting, right? They brought in a top quarterback this year. They had Dylan Morris, who was uh, one of the top quarterbacks last year. And I think even before that, and they had the transfer uh, over to UCLA, but it seems like, I mean, on paper, they have the talent, but yeah. Yeah. They've got some guys. I mean, they're not hurting. I mean, they're going to have, they've got Morris. They also signed another four-star recruit this season. I mean, I want to, I want to say Ethan Garbers. I could be wrong. Anyway, that'd be nice. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. It's I think it's Ethan something. Sorry, I don't follow the recruiting that closely. It is it is Ethan Garbers. I wonder if that's his brother. I would assume so. <laughs> Kudo, uh, but yeah, I think the um I think this the, they'll be fine, you know, but this is most teams, I mean, Washington's not in the realm of Alabama or, you know, even Oklahoma, you know, or where you just plug and play, you know, uh, with, with players into your system, Washington's a team that still has to develop players along and they're going to have to develop along next season on the offense. Max, if I set the over under on the third round of the NFL draft, where, where would you take? Um, well, where would I take him, or where do I think he will go? Where do you think he's going to land? Oh, he's go- he's going, he's going second. I think overall, I just, uh, no, no, second round. Okay. Like, okay. like, I just think that this quarterback class 
uh, is kind of weak, actually. And the, that the top candidates outside of Joe Burrow have questions with uh, to attack of a with the injury. And he hasn't even declared for the draft yet. And Justin Herbert, I mean, I, I just think that there, I feel like NFL evaluators just think that there's something off with Herbert and he didn't exactly do, he, he like he was fine this season, but I don't think that he made the leap that people thought he would. And so Eason has a strong arm. He has the measurables, and I think that there definitely can be one team uh, that falls in love with him. I mean, like, even though they just took Drew Locke, I just think that uh, Eason would be like the perfect John Elway uh, quarterback for the (laughs) Broncos. Yeah, I I, I think that he's going to be a day two pick. And it it, honestly, just given um, with NFL first round, how you get the you get the fifth year option. And so you see quarterbacks getting taken like 31st or 32nd overall just to lock them in for that fifth year. It wouldn't surprise me if if a team that's desperate for a quarterback makes that jump uh, at the end of the first round to take a guy like Eason. Shoot, if you can get in that first or second round, I, mean, I think you got to make that jump. And I remember a few months ago where I had questioned whether or not he was actually going to be a prospect. And you were on top of that, Max. I think you had highlighted that, you know, like he has the measurables and all that stuff. And, and here we are. So uh, best of luck to Washington. Uh, you definitely have more quarterbacks than uh, than you need. <laughs> so, so let's hope one of them is good. Kind of reminds me of Stanford, uh, but just like a uh, a level down from Stanford where they have like they always have five, you know, five star quarterbacks in the wings. And some of them are good and some of them aren't. It's kind of like that at Washington, except they're all four star. And again, you never know uh, with recruiting. So hopefully they're able to put together a strong offense with a good coordinator. But hey, I, I, thanks for bringing that up, Max. Right on. It's kind of cool to break news on the podcast. Let's go back to the Vegas Bowl here, Rob. You had you you'd watch this game. I'd watch this game, and uh, it, it was an impressive showing from Washington. Yeah, you know, it reminded me a lot of Washington's games against uh, BYU earlier in the season, <clears throat> where Washington's defense really um, shut down the Cougars, and in this case, they just totally shut down the Broncos um, and it gave Washington sort of mediocre offense a chance to have a lot of short field. Um, and they took advantage of it. They were, and they were able to push around Boise's uh, offense or defensive line and linebackers and were able to run the ball pretty effectively. And I think the talent disparity showed um, there. I mean, Boise state doesn't have a, a really great defense. I think um, beta rank had, had the mountain West pretty properly rated coming into bowl season. Uh, they the one the one it sort of missed on was that Central Michigan San Diego State game, um, where Central Michigan had five turnovers and was negative four on turnover <laughs> turnover disparity. Um, and I, I think Beta Rank was far lower on on Boise than a lot of places were. And um, Boise showed out, I think, where they they really were this season, despite the twelve ones. I was surprised that Hank Bachmeyer came back in because um, Jalen Henderson was the senior quarterback, so uh, ended up seeing the freshman who was basically out for the rest of the game. And I wrote the Vegas preview and I had really focused on Jalen Henderson because I was just assuming that he was playing. So that was kind of a surprise. We had a Chico McClatcher sighting, which was great. I, I have a special spot in my heart for Chico McClatcher. I know he's had some struggles on that team and uh, was on the team and off the team and stuff. So it was nice to see him in the bowl game. And I th- I'm glad you mentioned this, Rob, but it definitely was a field position game uh, on this end. The defense was able to really push back and prevent Boise from moving forward, uh, which allowed uh, the offense to be able 
able to take advantage of the positions that it had on the field. I mean, Eason had 210 yards total in the game. I think total rushing, I have to go back and look, but it wasn't it wasn't over the top in terms of productivity on the rushing standpoint, but it was efficient. They were able just to put up 38 points on a team that I think a lot of people had as one of the best uh, group of five uh, is a group of yeah group of five teams in the country yeah. so um, a good good start to the bowl season for the Pac-12 uh, Max and anything stand out for you in this game well I just think that we brought up on the uh, last pod that this would be the best defense by far that Boise has faced it and yeah. sure enough Washington absolutely smothered them and I just think that that's a really uh, good step I mean obviously this was the Chris Peterson farewell but I, I think with Jimmy Lake uh, being announced as the head coach, I, I think that this is also the beginning of his era. And so the defense completely dominating that game, I, I think, is a really big positive as his team heads into the offseason. Yeah, George Halani was a running back that uh, I had highlighted as, you know, possibly giving we already knew that Washington's run defense was really solid, but Halani's pretty good as a freshman guy. He'll be really good over time. And they held him to 35 yards. So uh, props to Washington. And we, we always wonder which team is going to show up because this team is talented. I'm curious about the offensive line next year and the offense, like we had just talked about, but the defense should be really solid and uh, we're able to improve and, and just really show out in this game. So nice to see a first win for the PAC 12. Let's get into some of these, games here we have the holiday bowl which is usc versus iowa which i think is a fascinating matchup but let's do it right after this i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. The Holiday Bowl. Holiday Bowl, USC. Going over to San Diego and, and just the worst stadium in the world. Maybe not in the world, but one of the worst stadiums in the world, the Qualcomm Stadium, to take on Iowa. Max, you're the USC savant here. I, I was looking at the Bader Egg numbers, and we'll definitely dive into that. And I'm just, I think this is going to be a real fun matchup, but I'm curious what you think. So, no, I, I agree with you. This is a really fascinating matchup. And I guess what this comes down to for me is I, I think both USC's offense and Iowa's defense are both elite. So, do I trust. USC's defense more do I trust Iowa's offense more and I think the Hawkeyes are like sneaky good on offense uh senior quarterback Nate Stanley I mean he he definitely can make plays um and I mean just besides that unit advantage I mean I think Iowa should control the trenches in this one I mean they have AJ Espinenza who's all who I think is an all-American I'm pretty sure and even though I, I as conservative as Kirk friends can be with like punting from the opponent 40 yard line, I have to give him the edge in terms of um, prep. And I don't, I think that Iowa though, they won a good amount of close games this year. And so I don't think that they're quite as good as their nine and three record. Like they beat Iowa state by one. They beat uh, a really uh, injury ravaged Purdue team by six. They beat Minnesota by four, Nebraska by three. So they've won uh, quite a few close games, but I just think that Iowa is a more balanced team. And for as explosive as USC's offense is, Iowa is is really good at limiting explosive plays. And so I think I think the Hawkeyes win this game. 
Okay. I, you know, I was looking at the numbers, and if you use the the team comparison tool on sharpcollegefootball.com, it's really fascinating, and particularly this matchup, right? You have, and I, I'm not going to step on your toes fully here, Rob, but I just wanted to highlight, like, basically, USC's offense is toe-to-toe on every single metric on par with Iowa's defense. It's just one of the – I don't think I've ever seen – um, two teams with the, basically the same advanced stats in every single category, except for the rushing offense, which you know, we are we obviously know that USC is going to focus <laughs> more on the pass. Um, I do think the running backs have been disappointing. I know there's been some injuries on that front, but um, anyway, you want to kind of dive through that because I just I don't know if I've ever seen this when I'm looking at two teams going into a bowl game here. No, and this is really exciting. And I should also mention I uh, I had some time I was messing around and I uh, um, I was able to make beta rank more accurate by adjusting the weight that I give to the particular parts of special teams. Um, and so this game is flipped a bit and beta rank now sees it as USC favorite. Um, and that is because beta rank now weights, uh, place kicking in special teams higher, um, than returns. So, uh, USC comes in at number 17, Iowa at number 25, it's the number 10 offense against the number nine defense. Um, and a lot of the things that you, I mean, you mentioned, Brian, like USC is, is good at putting drives together. They're number 16 in drive efficiency. I was good at st- not giving up long drives. They're number seven in drive efficiency. Um, USC is a lot of big plays. Um, they're number seven in explosive drives. <clears throat> Iowa contains big plays. They're number eight in containing explosive drives. USC is pretty good at play efficiency, number 21. Iowa is pretty good at limiting your yards for play, number 15. USC doesn't go three and out a lot or turn the ball over much. They're at number 14 there. Iowa, they, they cause a lot of three and outs and turnovers. They're at number 12. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, USC doesn't really try to run the ball too, too much. They're at 101 in effective rush, but they're number four in effective pass. The matchup to watch, though, is Iowa's number six in effective pass. Yeah. So this is a great matchup. Iowa did not get uh, – they didn't get Ohio State this season uh, in Big Ten play. So they didn't get to play – I don't think they saw a really elite offense uh, all season, but they did close down a pretty good Penn State uh, offense in that game in Iowa City. Um, they had a pretty good game against Minnesota, limiting them, even though they did give, give up some yards in that game. I expect that Iowa's going to have a pretty good game plan um, coming into this game to try to deal with USC. Um, the trouble with, you know, even if you have a good game plan, with you know, is what is Michael Pittman going to do to mess up your game plan? Keaton Slovis, as the season has gone on, watching him develop, wait for his, you know, wait and make prog- make it progressions through his reads. He's doing a really good job. Uh, this is this should be a lot of fun. I was going to throw a lot of stuff at Slovis uh, in this game. So there is a with the reweight um, where we. It basically re- it emphasizes the thing that USC does well, which is place kicking, and de-emphasizes the things that USC does not do well, which is basically everything else. Uh, <laughs> so USC special teams come in at number 32. Iowa special teams are at number 8. So Iowa does have a bit of an advantage in special teams in this game. Field position could come a little bit into play, uh, but I wouldn't expect if it comes down to, you know, as, as it does against this you know very good Iowa defense sometimes, um, I wouldn't expect USC to be at a huge disadvantage on that front because they do have a good place kicker, um, which could be critical because you could end up having some drive stall. Well, on the flip side, when we're taking a look at Iowa's offense, I know, Max, you had mentioned that they mm-hmm. have a sneaky offense. I I think that I would put it that they have an efficient offense. They've been able to get it done in games against good teams, too. It's not like Iowa's just played nobody. Um, and Bader Inc., they're 74th. 
and their efficiency isn't great. But on the flip side, too, USC's defense has been okay. I mean, they're 55, and then you have you have the injuries, of course, and Gateote, one of their top linebackers, may not play in this game. Obviously, a Drake Jackson out. There, there's just a lot of question marks, and you have Clancy Pendergast, who's probably on the hot seat. So one of my questions for you, Max, is how motivated is USC for this game? I would assume keeping Clay Helton gives them a little bit more of a boost in terms of wanting to be able to show up for this game. Yeah, and I just think that they get an opportunity to play a ranked team in California and basically set themselves up for one of the offseason hype teams uh, for next season, just with with Slovis and company coming back. Um, I I mean, USC definitely had an up-and-down season, but I think with all the time off that you'll see that this is one of the healthier times that they'll be all year. So I think that you're going to see a a really actually pretty strong effort from USC, especially with all the um, all the negative national media coverage regarding the recruiting. And I think that this bowl game would be an excellent recruiting tool to lure recruits after a really lackluster finish for early signing period. And I think if you see like a complete effort in this game, it'll definitely help versus if, if it's a really disappointing effort. I just think that that would only hurt recruiting given that it it would show that not even with Helton being retained that I I just think that a really good effort here would would do wonders. So I think that you'll see a motivated USC. Yeah. And Iowa has a decent ground attack. Just taking a look at some of the players here, you know, Tyler Goodson, who is questionable for this game. I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume most of the players that are listed as questionable will probably play if they have, you know, three or four weeks to recover. Um, But Goodson Averages about five yards a carry. They, they got four, four or five guys that average or in the four to five and a half yards per carry guy. Torn Young, I think it's Mekki Sargent, are, are both. They're, I mean, they're, these are capable backs that are going to at least challenge that front seven of USC. Uh, on the passing side, I mean, Nate Stanley's completing about 59% of his passes. He's thrown 14 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He does have some options. Um, a guy named Smith Marset uh, has about 776 yards, not a ton of touchdowns through the air as you know, clearly if he's only throwing four touch 14 touchdowns the entire year. So, you know, I don't expect their pass offense to challenge USC secondary. So I don't know. I'm curious to see how well they're able to run the ball. I feel like on Iowa's offensive side, what they're able to do on the ground is going to be the key to whether or not they're going to win this game or be able to stay competitive. But I could be wrong. I don't know. What do you think, Rob? I mean, Iowa has benefited from short field position from their defense a lot this season and having good special teams play there to to help out the offense because they stink at drive efficiency, number 105 there. They don't put together long drives very often. They have they're decent at explosive drives at 57. They're okay at play efficiency at 42. Um, they're not great running football number 80 there. They're better throwing the ball number 52. I mean, but we talk like USC's at 55 in beta rank. They've got a you know a 67 on effective rush, a 42 on effective pass. I, I mean, I expect Iowa. I this this game will be close. <laughs> this is my guess. I don't think anybody can. Iowa's offense isn't good enough to pull away from most anyone unless they their defense forces a bunch of turnovers. And USC's, uh, you know, Iowa's defense is good enough to to, to keep them in almost every game. Um, I I guess I just I, I like the Trojans because I think that they, as bad as their defense has been, I, I just I like their offense in this game. I think we're, we live in the era of big offense, and I, I will be surprised if 
Iowa is able to fully shut down the Trojans over the game. I think the Trojans are going to be able to um, put up some touchdowns and uh, Iowa might end up settling for some field goals. Yeah. One more thing to bring up is Iowa's defensive line. It's good. Um, AJ Epinesa is a defensive tackle. He has 13 tackles for a loss. Uh, he's all over the place. He's first team, all big 10 um, Chauncey Goldston is another defensive end. They got a good tackle in. Um, uh, I think it's Davian Nixon is the guy's name, but like they got three legit, um, either all first ten, uh, all first team pack, uh, Big Ten or second team Big Ten players that are able to pressure the quarterback and be able to stop the run. So I'm curious to see how they are able to put pressure on Keaton Slovis. Robbie had mentioned them throwing a lot of different looks at him. I'm, I'm curious to see how they do that. But again, that's not you know quite like the run game isn't USC strength. So. I think it might mitigate a little bit because they're going to be able to throw the ball. But again, <laughs> Iowa's secondary is good too. But I'll take the Trojans. They're a two and a half point underdog in San Diego. And yeah, no, I, I, I like their wide receivers. I think they'll be able to score some points. And um, it's not like Iowa's offense is blowing the world up. So um, I know that USC's defense isn't the best unit that they fielded in a number of years, but um, I think it'll be enough to be able to keep them in the game. And I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the Trojans. It sounds like that's what you're going to do, Rob. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the Trojans of this game. I, I like, I like the offense, even though they're going to get to see one of the better defenses they played this season. All right, Max, you are one to know, and I'm one to know in the bulls uh, so far, if I gave you two and a half points, uh, are you going to take them? Begrudgingly, but yeah, I'll, I'll take the points. Their big advantage here is in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And anytime I get the chance to fade Clay Helton against a good team, I'll do it. <laughs> All right, moving on. And the football gods are just so, so good to us because the the Cheez-It Bowl we just talked about Iowa and USC kind of being the same, you know, strength on strength and like matching up really well, particularly USC's offense against Iowa's defense. Holy goodness. There could not be two polar opposite teams in the cheese it bowl with Washington state with the air raid against air force with their, uh, their wishbone basically offense. And Max, right when this, Right when we saw the bowl list, like this one just totally popped out as being a must-see game because I love when you have two gimmicky type of offenses going against each other because uh, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I, I think I think the total for this game is in the high 60s, and I think that that's too low. That's low. <laughs> <laughs> it's at it's at 68 and a half. Oh my gosh! I, I would I would take that up to 71. Oh man. Um, I mean, and this comes down to can Washington State do anything to stop the run? Uh, they certainly don't have a good defense. And on the other side, I, I thought it was interesting taking a look again on the program tracker and the, the team comparison tool on our website was like Air Force is a good team and a legit team. And I know, Rob, that you are a Mountain West fan along with a Pac-12 fan. The one thing that Air Force does not do well is defend the pass. So I could totally see like what you're saying, Max, in terms of this over being uh, probably a good play. Yeah. And I just... I guess the the one game where I was this season where I was like really, really watching Air Force closely was the Colorado game, just because I remember that game. That line was such a trap with Colorado only being paired by three at home against Air Force. And this was an undefeated Colorado team. And my bet, well, my best bet for SI and for that week was Air Force first half. And Air Force completely dominated the first half. They really dominated a lot of the game. Like just going back to that box score, Air Force averaged 6.9 yards per play, Colorado 4.4. And Hammond, their quarterback, he was 
he was excellent. He uh, averaged 12.9 yards per attempt. But what kept Colorado in the game, which is really um, how they benefit early on in the season, was turnovers. They, they had a three-to-one takeaway advantage, including one Air Force uh, interception in the end zone. So I think Washington State's defense is still a disaster, and I think that Air Force can still have similar success. But with that Colorado Air Force game, I don't think that Colorado threw the ball enough until they were forced to in the second half. And that's and that's another reason why that they were able to get back in the game. And now with Washington State, they're going to be throwing the ball regardless. And I think that that's going to be a major advantage against an Air Force secondary that has had issues this season. Yeah. And and that secondary is atrocious. And that was the reason I took uh, I think I took Colorado that game ended up losing because I was even back then they were, I think, sub 80 and now they're sub 100, Rob. Yeah, so I mean, Air Force is really interesting in this game. I mean, the Beta Rank has them as the best team in the Mountain West. Um, they Boise got lucky and got them early, um, and Air Force had a, a terrible game against uh, Boise State. But um, they come in at 27. Washington State's at number 29. Um, it's the number 16 offense against the number 103 defense. Um, the one solace, if you are a Washington State fan, uh, is that Washington State grades out a lot better against the run. They're at number 63 in effective rush versus 119 in effective pass. Uh, Air Force, unsurprisingly, doesn't try to throw the ball much. They're at number three in effective rush, um, number 117 in effective pass. But And I'm going to say that like, I don't know that being really good against the run necessarily prepares you for a triple option team. <laughs> So um, it's it's a plus. I think the, the kinds of runs that you're going to see Air Force make are not runs that Washington State likely um, saw from a lot of teams this season. So it's going to require a lot of discipline from a defense that hasn't necessarily had a ton of discipline this season. It's interesting when I did the re-rank um, and emphasized place kicking more, Washington State ended up with the best special teams in the country. And I went back and looked at the pure place kicking. And, man, Blake Mazza should have won uh, the, the kicking award which name starts with a g and i'm forgetting the name of it right now but the groza yeah he should have won the groza like he he had a phenomenal season in place kicking uh this season just added a ton of value for washington state um but air force themselves they have a good kicker they're at number seven and and uh special teams in beta rank so um that should be close the flip side as you pointed out bryant like this is going to be a, a very good washington state offense number nine in beta rank against number 53 on defense um, but if Air Force is leaky, they're number 16 in stopping the run. They're number 100 against the pass. Uh, this is going to be a tough game for the Falcons secondary because Washington State, you know, given how bad uh, Air Force has been against the pass, they are not going to sit around um, and try to run the football at all. So I expect, I mean, I expect a lot of points in this game. Beta Rank has Air Force as about a three-point favorite in the game. That worries me a little bit, I, I guess, given that the the the, the run pass split on Air Force defense. Yeah, this is the exact opposite of last year's Cheez It Bowl because I remember Rob when we <laughs> previewed TCU versus Cal or whoever it was, and we just went. I mean, we we say on this podcast a lot. How are these teams going to score points? But like for real, we it was like a legitimate. How many points are going to be scored in this game? And there was like seven interceptions and all that stuff. It just flip that on its head. I'm really excited that Cheese Bowl is going to go out with a bang. I don't think they are uh, sponsoring <laughs> yeah. next year's bowl, so this will be really fun. I you know when you have so many, when you assume that there are so many points that are going to be scored, I 
try to just take them. And I'm trying not to just pick the Pac-12 teams, but I don't think I'm going to bet on Washington State. I'm going to take a look at that over, like you mentioned, Max. But I'll begrudgingly take the three points, and I'll take Wazoo, because I do know that they're going to score on Air Force. But I also know Air Force is going to score on Wazoo. I think the key, and it's kind of almost like a cop-out, but I think the key is whether or not Anthony Gordon's going to throw two picks in this game. And if he does, Washington State is toast. If he's able to make good decisions and keep that ball under control, I think Washington State has a real good chance to win this game outright. So I'll I'll take the I'll take the Cougars. So what do you think, Max? Well, interestingly enough, the total just went up to sixty nine. So I don't know who's nice. listening to this podcast live right now, but clearly that that that's what drove the the move. Uh, I'm taking the Cougars as well. I just think that I mean Washington State has played in a lot of exciting games where it's been decided by three points or less, and I think that this is going to be a, a similar one. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm nervous backing Mike Leach in bowl games just because he has a really poor track record in these types of situations. He's basically kind of been like the anti Kyle Whittingham who I'm uh, ironically enough, I'm fading this bowl season as well, but, um, I'll take, yeah, I'm, I'll take the Cougars and the points here. The, the other thing that worries me uh, to, and I'm still going to stick with the Cougars, but if air force is able to control the ball, like, I, I don't think they're going to bust a bunch of expo- explosive plays. Maybe they get two big runs for touchdowns, which would be pretty impressive. Um, I think but, Air Force is going to average like seven yards a carry. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah and, 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 and that, like, let, let's say Air Force just continues to do that, right? And they're just pushing and pushing and pushing. And that forces... Uh, Washington State to have to score quickly and they can do that. But I think the more time, I think Air Force is going to try to play that like clock management and just keep that offense off the field, which makes it a little bit nervous. But I don't know, whatever. I'll take the kooks. <laughs> I think I always take the kooks. So um, I'll, I'll do that again this time. What do you think, Rob? Are you going to go with beta rank and, uh, and give those three points? I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to take the Falcons here. I, I think you're right on it, that Anthony Gordon. I think that. Washington State, um, they have not necessarily been like when they got into trouble. It's usually been turnovers that have gotten to them. And um, I think Gordon is going to throw. He likes to throw deep. His offensive line can protect him. Um, but I think if if he tries to throw deep a ton in this game, it could come back and bite him. A couple guys to look out for here on Air Force. We've already talked at length about Washington State, so I want to highlight some of the players here. Um, I mean, like they're averaging so many. They have like five players that have more than 300 yards on the ground because they give it to everybody. But uh, Kaden Rensburg, 155 yards for eight. I'm sorry, 155 carries for 872 yards and seven touchdowns. He's averaging 5.6 yards a carry. Timothy Jackson also averaging uh, about six yards a carry. Um, he's questionable for this game, but I would assume that he ends up playing. But yeah, you have you have a number of guys that are averaging more than five yards a carry. So that makes a ton of sense, Rob, that they would average seven against Washington State because not the greatest defense in the country they do have some interesting linebackers they have two guys on the all uh, mountain west team uh demonte weeks who has more almost 100 tackles um will probably get into the backfield a little bit but it might be negated by that air raid and then kyle johnson another awesome uh linebacker that has held down he has more than 75 tackles and then they got a guy named uh, moisi fafita who is a 6'1 330 pound <laughs> defensive tackle who has 45 tackles and six and a half tackles for a loss and for a big guy that uh, large. That's that's pretty impressive. So it'll be interesting to see how much pressure they're able to put on Gordon and company, and maybe get Max Borgi in the backfield a couple times. But um, anything else, Max, in this game? Uh, just I'm really excited. 
<laughs> I mean, but the, the, I don't. I just it'll be really hard to be as memorable as last year's Cheez It Bowl. That was an all timer. That, that was that will go down in the history. That in Washington State's UCLA game will also go down in the <laughs> in the memory bank as one of the best. Uh, let's move to the Red Box Bowl and just celebrate for a moment the beard uh, and the fact that that beard has been able to take the Illini to a bowl game. I mean, this was one of the worst teams in the country for a long time. And Lovey Smith slowly, but surely able to move along. They've really built this team on transfers. I know we have a couple, uh, PAC 12 transfers in, uh, Amata Bebe from USC, who uh, really didn't do a ton and was a physical specimen and is now one of the star wide receivers of the, uh, Illini. And, uh, they end up playing a Cal team that I like a lot in this game and think, and I think Vegas uh, or the, or the, the smart money uh, bumped up an initial, I think, three and a half point line to about six and a half. Now, Max, what do you think about this matchup here? So, yeah, Brian, you're right about that. So I have it where they opened four, and then they were at Cal was at seven for a while, but now it's down to six and a half. Uh, Cal announced that there will be that they have multiple starters not playing. And the biggest one is safety Ashton Davis, but that's injury related. Uh, he underwent surgery and now he's out for this one. Illinois, um, they, I feel like Illinois, like, so like I was saying with Iowa before how they won a lot of close games and were fortunate. I feel like Illinois was really fortunate to finish six and six. Like they, they beat UConn by eight points. They beat Wisconsin by one. They beat a really, I can't believe that they won that Michigan state game where they were down by like three touchdowns in the fourth <laughs> quarter. But I guess what's interesting, so Illinois, I mean, their passing attack with the uh, Michigan transfer, Brandon Peters, really not that um, explosive at all. But they're running their run game with Reggie Corbin and, and Dre Brown. They I mean, I, I feel like that their their run game is, is the biggest strength of their offense. And that's definitely Cal's biggest weakness. And also with Cal, I, I guess just one thing that that I've been saying throughout the season on the podcast is that if Cal is a big favorite or if they're a big underdog, I'm usually going to lean in the underdog just because I think that this will be a a relatively low scoring game. And while six and a half, six and a half is a sizable amount of points. And I feel like hmm, it's tough to fate because obviously with the line move where it's at, the sharps are definitely betting on Cal. But I just think that six and a half is too many points, even though I don't think Illinois is as good as their record. But with Cal, I mean, at least they do get Chase Garbers back, which makes their offense a lot better. And that and that actually might be the difference in this one. But, yeah, I, I just think six and a half is slightly too many points. Yeah, Rob, Max hit the nail on the head with the running game. The passing game isn't great, although it, it will be fun to see Amater Bebe again uh, out on the field. He's had, uh, I think, like seven, around 700 yards, nine touchdowns this year. Um, but outside of him, it's really, there's not a lot of production on that front. It's more on the run game. I'm curious what the line eye defense is like, because um, let's say Cal can drop 28 points. I'm wondering if that's going to be enough to win the game. So the the I mean if Cal could drop twenty eight points I think they win the game. For I was sure. about to say, if Cal drops twenty eight they're doubling Illinois. <laughs> yeah, so this is I was this is it's number thirty eight Cal against number sixty nine Illinois. The the Bears coming at number seventy three on offense. Um, the Illini at number fifty six on defense. Um, what really stands out is that uh, Illinois 
they have a really big split. They're pretty good at getting off the field at number 10 at drive efficiency, but they're at number 93 in explosive uh, drive. So definitely can give up some big plays. And that Cal offense, that Cal offense, if they are, they're not really that good at anything. What yeah, am I, kidding? I was going to say they're, they're, they're built for comfort, not built for speed. Yeah. I mean, there's not like, there's no big split on pass singer rushing for either of these teams on that side of the ball that really stands out. Both of these teams have pretty good special teams. The Illini, however, do have a, a small advantage there. The flip side of it, though, I mean, this this Illinois offense stinks. Um, they're at number 93 in beta rank. <clears throat> they get the number 23 defense in beta rank. Um, you can run on the Bears. They're at number 40 in effective rush. Um, and we've talked about their struggles without having a true uh, nose tackle or defensive tackle on the, on their line. They, they give up a lot of yards in the A and B gap. But they're number 19 in effective pass. Illinois does run the ball a little better. They're number 54 in effective rush. So I would expect them to, to try to run the ball. And uh, Evan Weaver to have to make a lot of tackles. Um, but they're number 99 in effective pass. I mean, this game could be, I don't, it's not going to be like a cheese it bowl redux. I mean, Cal is, is good enough. And if Garbers is playing, they should be able to put up some points on this defense. But, I mean, I, the beta ranks got this at, uh, uh, an eight point cow favorite. So I, I, I like the bears in this game. Yeah. I don't like the six and a half and I wish I hadn't waited uh, it, on that four. Cause before we started the bowl season, I kind of highlighted Cal as one of the teams to bet on just because they, they Garbers is back. The defense is pretty decent. You know, they have some stuff to play for and I'm sure they're thrilled to be in a bowl game. Uh, <laughs> but uh, then, then the line went up to six and a half, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take Cal. Um, I think they'll be able to put up some points against Illinois. Um, and I'm not as, as worried about Illinois dropping like 28 points on Cal. I don't think that's in the realm of possibility. What's the, what's the total in this game, Max? Do you know? Uh, I would guess like 43 and a half, but let me look. 43. Uh, I almost still want to take the under, but that's pretty low. I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, and then one other thing also is that actually former, uh, another former USC transfer, uh, but, um, the edge rusher, Uluwole, uh, Batiku, like he finished the season as one of the, um, leaders in tackles for a loss. And he was really, really good at generating havoc plays and Cal's offensive line, kind of a disaster at points this season. So I think if Illinois can cause some havoc and, and, and get some negative plays, I think that they can keep Cal's offense at bay. Um, like I said, like, I, ugh, I, I don't like going against sharp money and beta rank. Like this is a double whammy, but yeah, I'll screw it. I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the line in the six and a half. <laughs> all right. All right. That's good. That's good. Um, oh, that 43. I might take the under anyway and just kind of see what happens because we'll see what happens. Oh, the other thing, too, another Pac-12 connection is Rod Smith, the offensive coordinator at Arizona, now the offensive coordinator at uh, Illinois as well. So um, a lot of talent from the Pac-12, for good or for worse. Jeez, we sure miss him. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. Uh, But I do think there's going to be a run. I mean, that's why you have the heavy run attack there at uh, at Illinois. So, um, okay, guys, do we have anything else to cover here? Um, We'll we'll definitely keep rolling on the the podcast with the uh, Bulls coming up. They're going to get a little bit more interesting as we move forward although these i think all three of these are, are pretty interesting even for mid-teal tier bowls um basketball is kind of dead right now but that will pick up as we move into the new year but anything else you guys want to talk about i want to know who you guys got in the playoff i was gonna say a college football playoff predictions i want to know 
Uh, we don't have to do we don't have to do the full deep dive, but I want to I want to know your thoughts and which, uh, where you guys going. Yeah, Max, you have a, you have a uh, good eye for this. Where where are you where are you leaning right now? So I understand why Clemson is favored, but I think Ohio State's going to win the game. Um, I just think that the the time off is is really going to help Justin Field, and I, I think he said that his knee is now at eighty five percent, but I think that he's going to look a lot better than he did at the end of the season. I'm really, really excited, though, for that Fiesta Bowl. I think it's going to be an amazing game. Uh, with LSU-Oklahoma, uh, This, I mean, the suspensions for Oklahoma uh, made this line rise to 14, but now it's down to 13 and a half. And I think that the Clyde um, Alaire Edwards injury, and uh, last last I've checked, uh, Orgeron said he's a game-time decision. Like, Burrow obviously won the Heisman, but he uh, – um, Edwards Alaire, especially against Alabama, he was a total game changer. And I think that if he's out, that LSU's offense, even with Burrow and those incredible and that incredible trio of wideouts, it definitely, I, I think it definitely hurts. I just think that Oklahoma's offense, yeah, I, I at thirteen and a half, and and with how good the Sooners are on that side of the ball, I think that that's just too many points. So I'll go Oklahoma thirteen and a half. And Ohio State plus two with Ohio State winning out, right? That's what I was leaning also, Rob. But I'm curious to see what Baderick. I know Baderick loves Ohio State, but uh, <laughs> what do you got? Baderick does love Ohio State. So they're number one um, in Baderick right now against number three Clemson. Um, <clears throat> Baderick has it as Ohio State as a five point favorite uh, in the game, and that's not. Der- I mean, most of the other statistical models have the Buckeyes favored, um, even though almost all of the book, I mean, all the books have Clemson, um, as a favorite in this game. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm amped for this game. It's going to be the number three offense for the Buckeyes against the number one defense for Clemson, including the number two, I mean, the Ohio state, I, there's no other way to put it. They run the ball as well as a triple, like they're that dominant running the football. Like there's their running profile projects as strongly as like a Navy, um, <laughs> that's incredible. Like, there are their, their offensive line is amazing. <laughs> um, then you flip it. It's the number six defense against the number five, uh, offense for Clemson. Um, th- there is still, there is a, uh, the Buckeyes have a sizable special teams advantage in this game. Um, they're at number four at special teams. Um, Clemson is at number 75. If, if Clemson gets into positions where like the, the field position, some should matter some, but, Place kicking could really be a problem for the Tigers in this game, so they better not stall, uh, stall, and uh, end up having to settle for field goals. That 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 game should be really fun. I'm excited to see it. Um, that one, I'm, and of course, like if they don't pull it out, then <laughs> um, the LSU game was LSU Oklahoma was uh, Baderink's got it at uh, ten for for LSU in that game, and really, I mean, L- uh, Oklahoma's at number five in Baderink, but their their defense just isn't isn't really going to likely slow down LSU in this game. Um, but their offense is good and should be able to hang and, and put up some points against LSU. Uh, Oklahoma is always able to put up points in the playoff. Um, they just struggle to contain what everybody else is doing. But uh, I, I sort of, I think that, I think that 14 is a lot. The suspensions of course, pushed it up. Beta rank doesn't see suspensions, but I, I'm with max on, on both of those calls. I'll tell you, God bless the playoffs because uh... When it was just two teams and there was all the debate over was oh. does this team belong and like and oftentimes the the team didn't belong <laughs> in, in the championship, um, but to be able to have 
just four fascinating teams go uh, head to head is is really really fun to watch, and I love the playoff. Like the the cool thing that I always appreciated was how ESPN would do the multi screen. So they you know like one screen they had Bill Walton talking about Clemson and, and Ohio State for some random reason, which I really appreciated. It was him and Jay Billis sitting next to each other, which was and uh, and Bill Walton looks over at one point. He goes to Jay. He goes he goes What city is Clemson in? And Jay Billis just looks at him. And he goes Clemson. <laughs> it's like it's just like it was just beautiful. Um, I'm curious what you guys think about expanding the playoff to more. I think eight's too much because now you're starting to get teams that don't belong. But six, like with a playing game, I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Max? So it would be six, and then the top two teams would get a bye. Yeah, I like that. I think that there should be a reward um, for finishing first and second best, just because. We've seen in the playoff where, where the one actually has has the number one uh, team ever won the college football playoff. I, I think it's no. no. Yeah. No. So I think just giving the one seed an advantage or even more of an advantage. I, I mean, just because this is likely an undefeated team that's faced a, a tough schedule. I think that giving them a, an extra buy, I think, would be a nice advantage. And that way you can include. All, all the all the power five champions, because I'm assuming the model would be the five uh, power five champs and one at large or a group of five. I, I would like to see a group of five team. Play. Uh, uh, I, I think the only way group of five would make it is if they went to eight. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't want eight. Yeah, screw the group of five. Let's keep it. Let's keep it in house. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Rob? I mean, I, like I, I so there's a there's some folks that I think are really passionate about like. I guess I'm a little ambivalent. I just I find that most of the arguments that people make about it just are are kind of disingenuous, I guess you could say. Like I don't right now people often like this is one of the first years in the college football playoffs. I think you can say you're really getting the best four teams. Yeah. Um with Alabama's, you know, uh, quarterback injury being taken into account. Uh most years you have somebody sneak in that really doesn't belong, you know, or that, you know, it, it's been it's been a couple of years that we've, you know, also had the sort of the development of like college football superpowers. I mean, uh, last year, Notre Dame didn't belong on the same field as Clemson. But how do you keep a 12 and 0 Irish team out? You know, like the for most of the playoff, the semifinals have been kind of boring. So this I guess I want to look at this, I think. You know, the argument that we're gonna water it down or something like that, like oftentimes the playoffs not, I mean, the semifinals aren't great, and it's the final games that we remember. Um, I, I think that going to eight, I don't think you're going to hurt it in that sense. Like you're, people talk about there's going to be blowouts. I'm like, yeah, but there's blowouts already, you know. Like yeah. I and I, 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 I tend to I like the sort of magic of uh, March Madness. <laughs> I guess you could say <laughs> the unpredictability of it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting. I'd like to see some Cinderella's get in there. I'd go to eight, you know, you might as well, and you're going to make more money, you know, going to eight. I don't think it, I don't think it waters down the regular season. I mean, I think the playoff you could argue now maybe has watered down the regular season a little bit. I don't know. I don't buy that too much, but I mean, yeah, like go to eight, get everybody in there, get uh, a group of five with an automatic bid in there and then take two at large teams. I'm in. Okay. Um, let's end that here and stick with us, Oregon and Utah fans and all that stuff. We'll get to your games. We want to make sure to cover some of the uh, bowls this coming week. So 
And, uh, and and thanks for everybody for sharing the podcast. By the way, we will have an update on our bowl pool uh, next week because there's only been a couple games played. So uh, at this point, it's just been four. So uh, stay tuned. And, uh, and if you want to write a review, we'd certainly appreciate it. Thanks to everybody that's done that. And we will catch you next week.